Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. You're welcome to go ahead and turn there. Uh, this is a story for one <clears throat> that is about kind of learning lessons as you go along. I would imagine most of you in this room recognize that as you have grown older, you have likely gotten better at doing certain things. Uh, you've grown better at uh, maybe your profession. You've grown better at uh, knowing how to maybe organize things. Or you've grown better at certain craft um, uh, specialties of yours. <clears throat> Many things that you do, you kind of keep adding on things. We remember that old saying that if I've accomplished anything, it's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. You know, you, you are the product of all the things that you have learned along the way. So whether you are a, uh, a person who builds homes or a person who is a salesman or whatever field, you continue to work <clears throat> and to get better. And the story we're going to be reading about is about an individual who is actually a, a very uh, high-functioning individual in that he has continued to be successful just by the nature of who he is. It's one of my favorite stories. It's one that I knew when I was preparing for the season of Lent. Many of you know that the Lenten season is a time we prepare for Easter. I had someone say to me this morning, hey, is the parade next weekend or the week after? You want to know what my thought was? Oh my gracious, the parade's in two weeks. We're there. You know what I mean? Like sometimes things start moving. Easter's going to be the same way. It's going to be here very, very quickly. And so as we prepare for Easter and we're talking about the things that are preparing us for that, this is one of those stories that for me is, man, it's just essential to the nature of the, of the Christian life. So Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it's a little bit of a lengthy text, but I invite you to stand with me if you're here in house for the reading of the Word. Uh, I'm going to uh, put this up on the screen as well, and we'll follow along. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, I, I gave you the wrong information by the way, this is John 3. Yep, yep, yep. It's in Matthew 17, and uh, the story's told in multiple Gospels. And for some reason, I, I looked down and gave you the Matthew text. We're reading from the John 3 text this morning. So I'll give you a second to scroll there, since I sent you to the wrong place. All right? John chapter 3, let's start over. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter, the time, enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still people, you people, you do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. 
God, we come before you this morning reading a story, one that is told throughout the Gospels of an individual. Yet, God, his story is so closely related to ours. Would you help us this morning as we look back at a Pharisee's life and understand that we are him and he is us? Is your son's name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. There's several things about this individual that to me we sometimes skip over. And part of that is, you know, have you ever had a group of people that sometimes they get a they get a bad rap, but in all reality, they're just not that bad of people. You know, sometimes when you live in one area, you know, you may think of somewhere else, another area, and there begins to be a bit of a of a rivalry back and forth. I was having a great conversation yesterday afternoon with some folks at uh, Miss Brenda Sugg's retirement party, and we were talking about the rivalry basketball games this past year between uh, Houston County high school in, uh, in, in, uh, in McEwen. Uh, you think about some of the rivalries that take place in other places, and sometimes because it is the other team, uh, things, statements are being made, you know, oh, well, they're a, they're a Cowboys fan, or they're a whatever fan, those sort. And we, so we sometimes, like, we lump groups of people into certain categories, and we do so kind of in a negative fashion, and in the same way, Pharisees, we've done that too. You think a little bit about the nature of Pharisees and Sadducees. You tend to read about them oftentimes together, somewhat similar in nature and yet not exactly the same. The Sadducees were ones that were more of, a, of an elite class that gave their entire life to keeping the law, uh, enforcing the law, inter- interpreting the law, those sorts of things. But the, the Pharisees were a little bit different in that most of the Pharisees were individuals who were successful in their own right from a business and from a professional sense. They were individuals who had spent their time not necessarily building an empire, but being successful enough at whatever it was that they were doing that they were then able to devote themselves fully to the studying of the law and to fleshing things out. Sometimes when we think about the Pharisees, you may think of a, well, because when you read them here, you, you kind of get this picture that there was maybe five or six of them following Jesus around, and they were kind of giving him some trouble. You know how many times they ask questions, or there seems to be things that are trying to trip Jesus up. And as you read about them, you think maybe it's this small group of of people, but as we go back and learn more about them, many people estimate there were as many as six to eight thousand Pharisees. Like this was a larger group of people that you may not have recognized as being a, a larger group. And in them being a larger group, you're talking about a larger group of people that the vast majority of them were successful. As a matter of fact, a man who wrote a major portion of the New Testament was a Pharisee. Who was that? Paul. To illustrate that he was also a successful professional person who then was also studying the law, kind of a, two different a- aspects of his life. What was he also as a profession? Anybody remember? Tent maker. There you go. You read about it one time referencing that this was another. And so when you read about Pharisees, you need to see themselves really as, well, really as maybe you all. I mean, if there was a Pharisee, Sadducee type, you all would probably be more likely to associate with Pharisee where I would be more likely to associate with Sadducee because you work professional jobs. You do things on your own. You provide income in such a way that is not religion or religiously associated, and that you are also here on a Sunday morning, here maybe even driving down the road listening to a sermon. So there's some level of you that's intrigued by the uh, religiosity, if you will, or, or by religion in general. So you're a bit turned or a bit bent that way. For this individual, a man who is likely successful just based on the nature of who he is, He also spends his time doing things like listening to teachers. That becomes something that's normal. Listening to people talk about the law and about this religion that he's a part of. Again, associating that we have so outcast sometimes the idea of who a 
who a uh, Pharisee is. You know, sometimes when we, we throw that out, but there's a lot of the aspects of him that we would associate with. I mean, how many of you throughout the week hear or listen to something that is religiously uh, associated that causes you to think. Many of you listen to maybe podcasts or you read a devotion. I mean, there's, there's some aspects of this man's life that's not too far removed from ours. A, a deep conversation about religion is not foreign in his world. He gets in these sorts of conversations. You see, this individual is one who, who doesn't just live. It's not just about surviving. But if you're a Pharisee, you're an individual who's interested in doing life and doing it well. Not just from a successful business standpoint, but even from a, a religion and a spiritual standpoint. Now what happens is, this man is accustomed to listening to teachers. And if you'll notice, many times the Pharisees reference Jesus as, as rabbi or as someone who is a teacher. This is something that's normal for them. And so when he's listening to this, in his mind, different teacher, he's heard this man speak. It's like something about Jesus, though, compels him at a deeper, at a deeper level. There's something about Jesus that speaks to him more so than any, well, into our world, than any podcast he may have listened to or, or influencer or motivator that he's listened to. There's something about Jesus that, that pulls him. It's almost like there's a, a magnetic force, if you will. There's something that stirs in his soul. He knew what religious experiences were like, but there's something going on here that's causing him to ask some very, very difficult questions. As a matter of fact, he even returns back to Jesus, which we'll get to in a little bit, at a different time frame to hear Jesus talk more about this, because this is overwhelmingly deeper than the normal conversations he's been a part of. It stirs him at a very, very real level. It's almost like many of you have seen, and you've stood in places, and you've seen some beautiful sights. If you live here in Houston County, in this portion of Middle Tennessee, you've been in places before where you have beautiful views. I mean, some of the ridges around here, when you stand on the top of them, you can see off into the distance, and it's just gorgeous. Uh, there, there are places all over there like that, out by the lake, even around here. There's some places right behind the church. You can get up on top of hills, and you can just see the rolling hills, and they're beautiful. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? When you get there, it's a different experience, isn't it? You stand on the rim of that, and you're like... This is, not, this is not a normal hill. <laughs> Matter of fact, not even a hill. This is not a normal view. And, and then you're guilty sometimes of like trying to take a picture of it to take it back home. And then what happens when you get home and you look at the pictures of the Grand Canyon? This is nothing. This is worthless. It does not do what, you know. There's something about Jesus and about the story of Jesus, folks, that compels us at a much greater level, like standing with your feet on the edge of the Grand Canyon, realizing that you're in something that is so much bigger. Because unfortunately, the Pharisees knew what religious or religion looked like, and they, they knew. And as a as a as a reality of religion versus Jesus, I have to tell you, religion is easier. Religious religious is is an easy thing to deal with. You know why? Because if you don't really like the way the religion rolls, it's real easy to tweak religious operations in such a way to make them more beneficial to maybe, I mean, you can manage it easier because you can kind of change the rules based on like how you want religion to work. You can kind of define things and, and route things. I mean, if you don't necessarily like serving people, then you can just like change your religious views in such a way that like, you know, well, I don't believe my religious views are not such that like I should be serving other people. It's not really part of it, you know, or, or maybe if your religious views are like, it's not about being sacrificial in serving other folks, or even sacrificial in giving. I kind of change my, I mean, have you ever heard a preacher talk about denying yourself? That's not real fun. Amen. Religion says, like, let's just change that. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's, not, let's not worry about that so much. And, and in, in the Pharisees' world, in interpreting the law, their back and forth all the time was, how can this be interpreted? And then unfortunately, 
documented, used in such a way to gain power or gain control. They would manage ethics and morals in such a way that would be more beneficial to them. They could lighten ethics and morals in such a way that made life easier for them. I mean, you start thinking about how these people were, were operating and the way that they were. I mean, as a matter of fact, when they're coming after Jesus, they're more worried about controlling the system they've created than they are about finding truth. They're, they're more worried about making sure to maintain the existence that they have, about recognize, or more so than recognizing who this Jesus character is. Ultimately, those religious structures, if we're not very careful, become more about creating ourselves as God. Stephanie and I in the last few weeks have been getting into some uh, different stages of uh, uh, like house in, in our, our house building process. Uh, as a matter of fact, I didn't realize that I was so uh, underprepared for what it meant to choose a light bulb. Have you been to the light bulb section at a store lately? Oh my goodness. Folks, I can remember Stephanie describing the type of light that she wanted. Um, you know what kind of light I like? The kind that lights up. It's a light bulb, right? You go to the store, and I know some of them are 40s, 60s, or 100, and you pick that, you know. You walk in, and I'm not sure if you're aware, so prepare yourself the next time you go to a Lowe's and you decide to walk and pick up light. It's not just the shape of them. You have bright white, which is like that super LED color. You have daylight, which is, I believe these are daylight, actually. They're inside a globe, but the ones inside the sanctuary, I believe those to be daylight. You have a soft white. Anybody know what soft white is? It's kind of a yellowish color. You know what I mean? Uh, Stephanie calls it warm. I don't think she liked it when I referenced it as, oh, the yellow one. <laughs> no, it's a warm feeling. Huh, looks yellow to me. You know, I don't know the difference. I am not um, versed in these, uh, in these things. And then we start looking at like, you know, well, we don't really know what it will look like because here's the other thing that this ties into. Have you ever painted a color on a wall and then you go home and you put light bulbs in the fixtures and all of a sudden the color changes on the wall? As soon as you, you know what, you can get four different shades of color just based on the light bulbs that you put in. And so sometimes, and this is another one, like I'm, I'm not the person who is very concerned about lights. And so like, other than like they just need to flip on when I flip the switch. But if you want to create a good, a certain look, you create a certain color. And so sometimes you put light bulbs in, then you flip the switch and look and be like, do I like this or not? You know, and I didn't know that all that was an option. I also know that when we got done, Stephanie was like, this is perfect. Now we just need a dimmer so I can control the amount of said light that we've chosen. I had no idea what I was getting into. You know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. Ultimately, at the end of the day, like we want to be able to create the atmosphere in a room by flipping the switch or putting in a certain light bulb to create the look that we want to create. And I'm here to tell you that is not how Jesus works. We have created religion in such a way that we will craft it how we want to craft it. And we will serve how we want to serve. And in the Pharisees' existence, all of a sudden, this Jesus character represented something very, very different. Jesus is not one who can be dimmed. Jesus is not one where you choose the version of Jesus that you want. I'm a all or nothing. I'm a, when it comes to Christ, you either flip the switch on or you flip the switch off. And some of us would like to say, no, no, preacher. But some people do exactly what you were talking about, religion. And they'll choose and pick and choose the parts of Jesus that they want to acknowledge and serve. And like what, what parts of Jesus they want to speak in their life. Jesus is not a, I'm going to uh, show up at the buffet line and pick the parts I like. Because if you don't trust him with this, then do you trust him at all? understand? If you want to put on the table that there are 10 things to trust Jesus with, but you say, to say, I trust Jesus, but I don't trust him with these two, what are you ultimately saying? Then I don't trust him. You understand? Like, it's not, it's not the way things work. When, when we submit ourselves to Jesus Christ, there is this full submission. Like, we're asking God to guide and direct us. 
And the problem is that when we see Jesus and, and we hear Jesus preaching and like what He's calling us to, we get to these things sometimes and as people living, especially in the North American paradigm that you live in, we say things like, but Jesus' story doesn't line up. But it doesn't make sense to me. And, and ultimately you're, you're being asked in this, in this question of like, what are you going to put your faith in? You see, that's exactly where Nicodemus was. He shows up with a system of how life should work. And yet when Jesus shows up and starts using things like you should be born again, it blows his mind. We don't even know in his mind, like, is he being sarcastic or real? Does he think Jesus really means to be literally born again through your mother? Like, I, I don't know that he was that far. Like, I wonder sometimes if he's not just asking questions in a, in a place of frustration because the way that Jesus is representing God is very different from the way that he's understood God. But in this, Jesus is, is needing him to, to trust him, even though things don't line up in his mind. In the North American construct, we've created this, we need to be able to figure things out. Amen? How many of you have grown in your frustration with meteorology? I used to think they were good. You know what I mean? Like when I was a kid, if they said it was going to rain on Tuesday, hey, Tuesday it's going to rain. Now if they say it's going to rain on Tuesday, that means somewhere in the next two weeks we're going to get rain. You know what I mean? Like, you have no idea. They may say it's going to rain two inches. If you're in the meteorological field right now, I'm so sorry for insulting you. I'm just saying we're, it must be a perishable skill because we're just not as good as we used to be at this thing, okay? But in, in the process of watching that, we like to be able to predict and to know and to have a system that works. And we would like to say that sometimes I'm not a big fan of, of having faith and trusting in those things. And so it is difficult for a logical, linear, rational person to put their faith in Jesus. Amen? I want to ask you that question differently this morning. So far today, what have you put your trust in that you have no proof it was going to work? Think with me for just a moment. I'll tell you how my morning went. I woke up under a roof over my head that was built by a sketchy framer. I am the sketchy framer. But I trusted that that thing would hold up. That someone designed trusses in such a way that they would hold that weight up over my head and I would go to sleep, and I slept quite well last night underneath that. I drank a cup of coffee that was packaged, I have no idea where, that said it was from Columbia. I have no idea whose hand, I know this, the one place I've ever seen where coffee was actually sorted, it was sorted by hand to pick out what colors, to pick out what, you know, textures, the size of the beans and all that. And it was people sitting on mats on a huge concrete floor, and they were picking beans up and doing this, sorting beans. All I know this morning is I have no idea where that coffee came from, but it went into a coffee pot and about this much of it has gone now into me. I trust that that's going to be okay. I ate a donut from Krispy Kreme because yesterday I drove by and the holy sign was on. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I have no idea what goes on inside there making donuts, but I know when they hand that box out the window, my life is better. But I'm trusting that they were doing things well. I drove 50 miles an hour this morning, coming down a road, a, a pretty decent straightaway, trusting that metal and glass was going to stay together with some rubber tire wrapped around it every now and then, trusting it was going to work out. And let me tell you folks, if you've ever been in a vehicle where things didn't work out and one of those tires came off, you understand just how much trust you're putting in that vehicle all the time. I sat in an office, I did the math. You know, in the office over here, we had to build a fire rating. I can't remember how many hours <clears throat> the fire rating had to be to, uh, to be okay with the local architect. When I sat in my office this morning, I did the math on how many sheets of 5 8 sheetrock are over my head. 
I sit in an office relaxed while working on sermons, reading, whatever things I'm doing, and there is 1,665 pounds of sheetrock held by screws over the top of my head the entire time. Tell me again you don't live life trusting things that you can't explain or trusting things that you've just decided. I've made peace with trusting this even though I'm not sure it's rational, logical, or reasonable to trust in systems. There are systems out there that we have decided I've made peace with this. So really when it comes to having some of these gaps that you may not fully understand the nature of who Jesus is and you may find yourself in a place very much like Nicodemus saying, but how should someone be be born again, how does that work? Folks, this story, even within itself, references things that don't make sense. Jesus points back, did you recognize the reference to Numbers 21, a story that doesn't necessarily make sense, that people trusted in God and they were provided for? Anybody remember the story? It seems so odd that Jesus would reference something about a snake being held up in the, in the desert. Do you remember that reference? from Numbers 21. Anybody even know what that story's from? It's this obscure story where the Israelites were angry with God because they hadn't been taken care of as they thought they should be taken care of. And then during their existence, there's a lot of snakes in the area and people are being bitten by snakes and some people are dying. And then they cry out about God, won't you remove the snakes? And then there's this bronze snake crafted and Moses holds it up in the air, puts it up high so people can see it. He instructs them, if you will look upon this snake and trust that God will heal you essentially. If you'll look upon the snake, then the venom will not kill you. And it talks about how, but they have to trust in something that doesn't make sense. I'm going to tell you what, if I'm bit by a snake and you tell me, no, Daniel, look at this remote, it will all be better. It doesn't make sense. Okay. Time and time again, in your own life living today and in the Bible, there are those areas that may not line up perfectly. And the question is not, will you have faith? The question is then, what are you going to put your faith and your trust in? I'm illustrating this morning, you already make decisions about trusting things. Jesus is the one in this story, especially Nicodemus having to make peace with, am I going to trust what this man is saying about being born again? I'll prepare you for something though. If you decide to say to Jesus, I don't trust, or it doesn't matter to me the other things that I trust in, and you want to just begin to put your trust in the love of the Heavenly Father, you need to prepare yourself because that way of living sometimes doesn't line up and add up and it doesn't, it's not all nice and neat like you may think. Sometimes trusting Jesus means that we trust Him in ways that don't make logical sense in specific moments because we're trusting God to guide us. And I understand this morning there may be some of you here that you're like, this Jesus is a compelling character. And speaking about your own religious experience thus far, you may have stood at the, at the proverbial Grand Canyon recognizing that Jesus is a different conversation than you've ever had, and yet you haven't made peace because you're not sure that things all line up. I need to tell you this morning, recognize in Nicodemus those same doubts. As a matter of fact, he comes to Jesus at a very specific time. When is it? During the night. Two questions here. It's from one of two perspectives. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night from one of two places, either A... What did I tell you about Pharisees? They work full-time jobs. They do their own thing. Either A, he comes to Jesus at night because he's been working all day and this is the time when life gets quiet and he sits around the house and he has time to think about things. And then the decisions and the thoughts about who Jesus is begin weighing on his heart. And so maybe it's because he's left in a place where he's able to think because he's not doing the profession anymore and now it's at night. Or maybe so, and many people point in this direction, or maybe so he knows if he goes under the cover of night, he, as one of the Pharisees, can sneak away and have a conversation and ask Jesus some more questions because he's just not sure about it. He hasn't made peace with it. And I want to tell you this this morning, whether it is after work when life gets more quiet 
or maybe in the cover of night that you want to pray and ask God to give you some more understanding because you're just not sure, please understand that humanity has been doing this from the beginning. They've been working through their faith and being willing to ask questions even to God. I don't understand this. Help me understand what you mean by being born again. Regardless this morning, if it is an after work thing that you come to Jesus with, or if it is a under the cover of night because you don't want people to know, I need you this morning to hear that not only was Nicodemus one who professionally got better to a place and was successful to a place that he was able to be a Pharisee because that's a place of luxury. I want to tell you this morning, he did the same thing within his spiritual journey. We read later on, Nicodemus is the one, I told you there were thousands of Pharisees. Nicodemus is the one later on we read about defending Jesus to the other Pharisees. He starts by asking questions at night and having to decide in his mind and his heart, is he going to make the decision to trust Jesus? And we begin to see here in a little bit later. Matter of fact, Acts tells us in other places that he wasn't one of the only, he wasn't the only Pharisee. There were numerous Pharisees who became not sympathizers, but believers in who Christ was. And as a matter of fact, the last time we read about Nicodemus, does anybody remember what he was doing? <clears throat> I give you a hint. It was after the cross, asking to take care of the body of Christ. I ask you this morning, where in the story of Nicodemus do you find yourself? Curious about who he is, not sure yet about whether you want to put faith in him because it, it's, it's still something you have questions about. Have you, have you taken that next step to where you recognize who Jesus is and you're, you're a sympathizer in such a way that you would even vouch for Jesus in very close settings and in front of your friends and say something like, you know, Christians and Jesus aren't that bad? Or have you taken the step to where it doesn't matter who finds out about it, I'm willing to live in such a way that I will care for the Christ? This morning, for the purposes of the sermon, it doesn't matter to me which step you're in. My invitation to you is to take the next step. If you found yourself in that place where you just haven't made peace yet and you've been curious about who this Jesus is but you've been in a place of difficulty and you find yourself right now being compelled by something much like standing at the Grand Canyon, it is bigger than yourself and you can't describe it and yet your heart is beating and you know something is heavy inside you, maybe this morning is the morning that you begin in this process by saying, God, I trust you. Maybe this morning if you have trusted God at some level for a while, Maybe it is the time where you're willing to start defending Christ and, and, and the following of Christ to the friends and the people around you. Maybe it's time for you to be all in in this nature. This morning, I want us to close in a word of prayer. And no matter where you find yourself, I'm encouraging you in this closing prayer as we talked about corporate prayer earlier to take that next step in the process. Let's bow our heads this morning. God, we come before you today recognizing one of the most core stories in the New Testament in the life of faith recognizing this morning that so many of us relate to a man named Nicodemus who may have belonged to a group of people that we have thrown rocks at in the past, yet God, we also recognize the similarities in our lives and His. God, specifically this morning, for those who have known the story of Jesus and have had their questions and maybe still sit with some questions and yet they wrestle with faith of whether or not to trust this man to trust whether or not this is the Son of God, to trust whether or not He died on the cross. God, I know this morning You are compelling people. God, You are knocking on hearts' doors. You are, you are beckoning. And so for those this morning who may be ready to submit and say, you know what? I'm ready to start trusting Jesus. Help them in their own words to pray to You something similar to this. God, I acknowledge that Jesus was sent here by You for the forgiveness of sins. I ask that You would forgive me of my sins and ask that You would help me to move forward serving You better. God, I pray for others in this room who may recognize that they have begun that step of faith maybe years ago, 
and yet they have not yet taken the next steps to defend their faith or to describe to other people that that Jesus character really is who He is. Maybe this morning, God, it's not just about speaking of Jesus every now and then. Maybe there are some of us who recognize, you know, I have been, I've been delicately walking the faith and the belief in Christ. It's time for me to live up. It's time for me to step up. It's time for me to be the one who is the leader of my house, the leader in people around me, the one who points people and who openly acknowledges, yes, I serve Christ. Regardless of what steps you have called us to, God, we give you praise for being one who hasn't given up on us and who will not. We love you today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.